0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of our 20-Minute Playbook series, where each week we sit down with an elite performer, from iconic founders to world-renowned investors and best-selling authors, to dive into the ideas, frameworks, and strategies that got them to the top of their field, all in less than 20 minutes. I'm Daniel Scribner, and on the show today, I'm joined by the one and only Gokul Rajaram. He's a prolific angel investor in over 300 companies and counting, and an executive at DoorDash, which he joined after DoorDash acquired Caviar from Square in 2019. I was fortunate enough to get to work with Gokul at Square and I am beyond thrilled to have him on the show today. In this episode, Gokul shares what he thinks his investing superpowers are, why he loved Mark Andreessen's interview on The Good Times Show, why he loves Andre Agassi's book Open, and the advice he'd give his younger self if he could go back 20 years to the start of his career. You can find the notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 105. That's 105. You can follow Gokul on Twitter, which I highly recommend at Gokul R. That's G-O-K-U-L-R. With that, let's dive into Gokul Rajaram's playbook. Gokul, I'm thrilled to have you back on 20-Minute Playbook. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks so much for joining
1: me again. Thank you. Great to be here, Dan.
0: So... This is a little bit faster paced than uh, you know the long form interview that we did. I'm going to ask you the same ten questions that we asked you every guest, and we're going to try to do this in 20 minutes. The first question is around a recent fascination. Is there anything that you've been fascinated or obsessed by recently?
1: Um, I would say crypto, but it's been probably two or three years that I've been fascinated by <laughs> crypto and, and confused. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's just it's just the evolution of crypto. I think the NFT, uh, the rise of NFTs, the just the the myriad ways in which, essentially, the you know Web three world has just sprung right now. Right now, I'm fascinated by. Uh, I'm seeing essentially that every Web two infrastructure uh, product, whether it's uh, analytics, CRM, marketing, email, even messaging, is being rebuilt in Web three. So I'm trying to uncover what are the other Web two protocols or infrastructure layers that have still to be uh, built for Web3. So it's uh, it's been really fascinating to me to see really the rebuilding of all of these things that have been built over 20, 25 years for Web2. Now within like two years or a few months, they're, they're being rebuilt by entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, it's a very short time. I know, and you're starting to see companies too that are, you know, have this kind of hybrid Web2, Web3 model where it's like, we have traditional cloud infrastructure, but also blockchain, and it's gonna be interesting, I think, to see those play out as well too. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Second question is around your superpower, you know, and I think that what we're trying to get at there is, you know, I, we're all uniquely gifted in some ways. What do you think your superpowers are? And how do you harness
1: those? How do those show up day to day? Uh, it's a good one. I I don't know. I don't know if I have any, but if, if, <laughs> if there is one, I think it is to be able to take almost any, uh, I would say, business problem and be able to find a way forward to solve it. So I think it's, problem solving, business problem solving uh, around taking a business outcome and being able to brainstorm a few different ways in which we can have customer behaviors. The other one is really breaking down a problem. I think I never felt that I, when I was an engineer, I I would be given a very specific problem to solve and I would solve it. And I really want to learn how to be given a more open-ended problem and figure out, What are the ways to solve it versus just doing X? And I trained myself, I think, uh, over several years. So I got better at that, which is taking open-ended problems and putting structure around how to solve them. Maybe yeah. the best crisp articulation.
0: I think that definitely qualifies as a superpower. And I also love, no one's, no one's given that answer before, so I, I love that. On the flip side, what do you struggle with? You know, And this is just this concept that, you know, no matter how talented, no matter what we've been able to achieve, we all struggle with some pretty fundamental things. <laughs> what do you struggle with and how have you worked around or improved those things over time? Saying
1: no, saying no to people. I want to help people. So when anyone reaches out, my first reaction is to say yes. And uh, the problem is there's only X number of hours in the day, X number of days in the week. And so I have started using over the last few months calendar to really prevent me. I literally block off times where I need to do deep work myself. I can't be in one-on-ones with folks. I can't meet with folks. And I'm also putting guardrails around the number of hours I spend meeting with entrepreneurs or meeting with other folks versus working myself on stuff that matters. Because if, yeah, so I think uh, not saying no to be honest, has been the source of many incredibly serendipitous discussions, meetings, and, and uh, you know, great things that have happened, but also leads to incredible amount of uh, stress around time management and, and, um, and being able to be productive.
0: Yeah. Well said. I, I identify with that and I definitely agree. It's a, it's a two-edged sword. Is there any, you know, book, is there anything you read or listened to that helped you get better at that? Like, you know, what comes to mind as you talk about saying no is, uh, the courage to be disliked, which has been on my reading list for a long time. <laughs> I haven't read yet.
1: I think it's, uh, there was a podcast with Mark Andreessen, uh, which was done on the good time show, I think by Shiram, who's now at and- and- Andreessen. And, uh, I think that really talked about how Mark essentially uses calendaring to completely manage his day. Everything, anything he needs to do is on calendar. So it inspired me. I was doing some soft version of it, but I became much harder core about saying, well, if I have to do something, if I'm doing meetings and they're on calendar, why does almost everything I need to do not be in calendar? So it should be a half an hour block or one hour block on calendar if I have to do something. So I've started being much more aggressive about calendaring things and saying, well, you're going to do this now. You've got to eat the frog in the morning so eight to nine, you've got to write whatever it is. You've got to write this memo or document or performance review, whatever the case may be.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing Is there I want to talk about habits and routines and the the way i'm going to frame this up is As i've explored, you know, how people have have incorporated habits and routines What I found is there's a massive spectrum and actually most people I I don't think are very focused on habits and routines And so what I want to try to ask now is kind of scoping it way 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 down And just ask the smallest version of the question Which is what tiny habit or routine has had the biggest positive impact on your life? And this could be at work at home any any angle
1: For me, it's been um, exercising six days a week, five to six days a week has had the biggest impact because I've seen that I always believe the hierarchy of anyone, any individual should be health, then family, then work. Why not family before health? Because if you're not healthy, you become a burden to your family and you can't can't help them. And so your health is actually very, very important. Then your family, because you can't help you, and then finally work. And uh, if, you know, I think many of us, who who have families and who work quite a bit ignore health, and you re, and you don't realize how much just focusing on your health has a trickle down effect on making you just happier, more productive. Even things that are not you don't feel excited about, you feel more excited if you are if you are healthy. So being able to just have some kind of exercise five to six days a week on a consistent basis has been the the most transformative thing I've done. Probably a common thing I'm sure many people have said on your show, but for me it's. Uh, it started, when I was, it started when I was starting to commute to Square nine years ago, where I realized that by day, I would no longer just have a, I live in the South Bay area, I would no longer just have a 15 minute commute, I would have a one hour commute, which means two hours of my day was taken up 10% of my day was taken up by commute. So I needed to really find time to exercise before, before getting into the car. And I started doing that. And that persisted, hopefully, thankfully, over the last nine years.
0: Yeah, I feel like exercise is one of those things counterintuitively too, that, you know, a lot of people don't have time for it. And yet what I find is when I make time for it, it actually gives me time back in the day. <laughs> because to your point, I'm more productive, I show up just in a better version of myself.
1: Look, you're it's a date with yourself, essentially. And yeah. so give yourself a treat and put if you can do a one on one with someone else, why can't you one on with yourself? Put a half an hour? Yeah, that's well said. <laughs>
0: Okay. I want to talk about uh, favorite books. And what I'd be curious is if you find yourself sharing you know, the same books, the same types of books with founders and investors uh, that you work with, and just if you have any all-time favorites. And this can also be, these don't just have to be business books. It, it can be anything.
1: My favorite books are things that are, written, that are written with a point of view and have more of a storytelling nature to it. Uh, in addition to teaching, they also entertain. And so the hard thing about hard things Which is Ben Horowitz's book is probably my all time favorite book because it just has such a because people remember stories. Uh, That's why I tried to read a few years ago. I I started to read book summaries, but book summaries take away the stories that underlie the books, and so you don't remember it because you remember the stories and not the not the actual lesson. And so the hard thing were hard things, and then uh, the other one I really like is uh, a book called Open by Andre Agassi, and that book. It's just, he starts talking about how he hates tennis. He truly hates tennis. And having somebody who's one of the greatest ever to play a sport, saying he hates the sport and why he hates it was just just incredibly powerful to see how, you know, how yeah, overdoing something can lead to this love-hate. Everyone has a love-hate relationship with what they do in some ways. So it's given him so much, yet he, he hated it in many ways. He also loved it.
0: I love that you brought up the point about book summaries because you know it, I I similarly have tried those as as I think anyone who's pressed for time and I think my experience of it, it reminds me of the quote of um, I was listening to an interview with uh, Tony Deaton who's an investor I, I really like and he talks about uh, one of his the thing he harps on a lot is you know man's constant search for getting something without expending any effort or any energy and I feel like that's the perfect definition of book summaries because you're not you know you're not investing in it you're not really going to get anything. <laughs> I want to ask uh, about tools now and, you know, what I... Typically, we talk about software tools. I don't see it today, but I know back in, you know, the square days, you would keep a field notebook in your pocket all the time and just have this notebook that was with you constantly. So I would be curious, do you still have kind of paper and a notebook as a big part of your the tools and the way that you do work and, and you kind of think and write down to do's and if there's any software components or any of those we're sharing?
1: I replace because I don't move around as much. I'm mostly in, at home and I sometimes go into work uh, rarely. I use my uh, phone and the notes app as a substitute for that. So I basically update my notes app on a basically on a constant basis. So I don't use any fancy things. So notes is a, it's a closest. It looks like the Moleskin thing. You can kind of configure it a little bit, and it has checkboxes, and I check box after I do it digitally. So it's basically the it's become a proxy for uh, for basically carrying around the book because I always have my phone on me. So I'll quickly jot something down. So basically, I have a Note that is the to do for the day, and uh, it's, it's essentially the biggest discipline there has been to cut down the to do to two or three versus to have ten, because you got to like really know what the top top one or two things are that you need to get done today. And then for everything else, I, I use uh, just a different note. But but really, every day the, the biggest struggle is what are the top one or two things that if you do that, you feel you you had a good day progress do
0: you have you know is part of your routine doing that the night before or do you try to make you know time to do that in the morning is there a specific time you do that kind of in the morning when work? i wake
1: up in the morning when yeah. i wake up that's one of the first things i do within the first half an hour of waking up um, exercise teeth brush etc and then uh, and then basically what's 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 got to be done and exercise actually plays a good clarifying role because you can get a lot of stuff out and you can think about it and then you are like you're determined and it actually gives you more determination. Write down that big thing that you've been maybe dreading. I'm going to do it. A power backs is fuel.
0: Then the rubber meets the road, and you have to actually put down the list and start and start checking things off. I want to talk about uh, success. And what I want to talk about there is your definition of success and how that's changed over time. And, you know, I think for you, it would be really interesting just to talk about that at the highest level, because you do a lot of things. You're an investor, you know, you're an operator, you, you have a family. What does success look like for you today? Or how do you think about that? And then how has your definition changed over
1: time? Yeah, I think, again, 15 years ago, I would have said success means to run a large organization and to, you know, essentially be an important part of an organization, et cetera. But now, as I've really crystallized that for me, the most three most important things are health, family, and work. Success truly follows on that dimension. First is be healthy. You know, once anyone, all of us have gone through injuries or whatever it is, or or had pain. And only when I I've seen that we really don't think about how lucky we are to be healthy until we have some incredible pain or physical pain. So it's really to be you know, physically and mentally. I think all mental health is just as important, I think, as physical health. So be physically and ment- mentally healthy and active, number one. Number two is essentially make sure that I'm there for my family and see my kids succeed, do well, be happy, in whatever they want to do, and have a good relationship and have a loving relationship with my wife and parents and uh, and just general family. And the third one is, I think, at this point, success at work for me is about being helpful and being known, I think if I were to distill it, it would be being known as a value-added, helpful part of the broader tech ecosystem globally. I think I would probably initially have said just the valley a few years ago, but now I've worked with many entrepreneurs across, across the world. So I want to have a, be known as someone who, who's basically helpful. And uh, every, every company I work with, I say my goal is not to make money off of you. My goal is to really make sure that you think of me as one of the top most helpful people on your cap table.
0: Yeah. As someone that knows a few of the founders that you've invested in, I think you already have that reputation. So I think you've, you've got a good, you've got a good head start there. I, I want to ask one follow-up question, which is, you know, I know that you alluded to it there, that you've been investing, working with more founders, entrepreneurs around the world. And I want to just stop for a second and ask this, the question of one, what are you seeing there? What excites you there? And then I think just for people that maybe don't spend as much time focused outside of the U.S. as inside of the U.S., you know. Just share a little bit of what what that perspective gives you, what, what it shows you about the world and about founders around the world.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, till March of 2020, 95 percent of my investments were in the US. as soon as Zoom happened, COVID happened, literally the whole world opened up, and uh, didn't matter whether the founder was saying in Bogota, Colombia or Jakarta, Indonesia or Bangalore, India or, or New York. They all were essentially the same at that point. And uh, what I realized was two things: one, founders across the world just because of the rise of internet and uh, just information dissemination they are just as hungry just as now uh, i would say aggressive like visionary and and they work just as hard as the best founders in the us the best founders across the world now are at par with the best founders in the us second the market opportunity i would say in the us there is like there's tons of companies being started i think still the number of companies per capita is much lower in these countries, so each company has a much bigger opportunity to win. In other words, for example, if you look at all of Latin America, there's 800 million people across these countries. Uh, similarly, India has 1.1 billion people. In Southeast Asia, Indonesia itself has 300 million people, or more than 300 million. So each of these regions is massive, but the number of companies attacking these problems are much smaller. So, and I think. Coming from the U.S., I think folks who are in the U.S., you don't know how much they value your uh, lessons, your experience, et cetera. It's incredible. So competing with like thousands of investors and advisors to get attention of a uh, Valley company versus it's they they are hungry. They reach out. They're much easier to kind of I would say get time with because they they want that time. So I think. Uh, There's a lot of benefits to having, to working there. We just, it it takes you back to simpler times. I mean, they're just focused on also the Maslow's hierarchy. There's many basic, in the US, I think many of the infrastructural challenges have been generally solved. I think many of the companies are doing more self-actualization kind of things, you would say. But in most of these countries, basic fundamental infrastructure things are being catered. So you also feel like you're truly having impact on the lives of people in foundational ways, much more so than in the U.S. That said, I mean the U.S. is still the center, epicenter, but these regions together, I think fifty—I almost say that if you're investing, probably through fifty percent the U.S., fifty percent rest of the world. Um, I love the points you made. Last question.
0: Uh, I'd be super curious to know what advice you would give to your younger self. So if you could go back even to Gokul in 2002 (laughs) and whisper, uh, you know, just a couple words, either of encouragement or just a reminder to yourself, is there anything you would tell your, you know, kind of a younger version of yourself?
1: Be curious, continue to be curious. I think curiosity and be open to new ideas. I think uh, that's something that I need to keep reminding myself because as you get older, you sometimes get jaded. And uh, you realize that you sometimes, say, well, this has been tried before. I think the danger with pattern matching, I'm an investor in enough companies that I'm like, well, I've seen that movie play out before. But every time, it, it's a different outcome. Jack started a company. Jack and Jim started a company in payments, one of the worst areas to start a company in. Hundreds of collapses, Graveyard, created one of the best companies, iconic company. And the same is true for, for something like Grocery, where Webvan and Instacart a decade later. And so I think... Think from first principles. Don't be influenced by patterns. Use the right lessons, but don't just ignore new ideas or ideas that have been done before just because they've been done before. Look at the entrepreneur. Always be people first.
0: Yeah, so well said. Thank you so much for the time, Gokul. For anyone listening, I highly encourage you to follow Gokul on Twitter. You can find him at Gokul R, G O K U L R. Thanks for the time, Gokul.
1: This meant a lot. Thanks again, Daniel
0: thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com 105. That's 105. For more from Gokul Rajaram, listen to episode 102, where he joins me on our investor spotlight series to go deep on how he thinks about product management and his incredibly popular spade framework for making transparent decisions as a company. In that interview, we cover what product vision and leadership looks like in action, the difference between product managers and analysts, how his SPADE framework came out of a failed meeting with Sergey Brin, Larry Page, and Eric Schmidt at Google, and his advice for teams, from how to test your hypotheses with no code tools and no engineers, to why small teams win, and why speed is the ultimate competitive advantage for startups. You can now also find all of our interviews on YouTube at youtube.com slash outlieracademy. On our channel, you'll find all of our full-length interviews as well as our favorite short clips from every episode, including this one. So make sure to subscribe to get notified whenever we share new videos each week on YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you right here next week on Outlier Academy.